and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of technology with media and sports and entertainment. Today, we're going to be discussing something uh, very interesting and very close to the heart of a lot of people in the sports industry, which is how you build a great ticketing operation in sports. Uh, and obviously, the last 18 months has been very impactful in that regard. And so we look forward to hearing from two of the best in the business on how they've done that. First, before we get into that, please do follow us on social at Sportsloft HQ. Sign up to our newsletter on sportsloft.co. And we'd like to say a big thank you to our Sportsloft partners, our legal partner, Northridge, and our talent partner, SRI. So today we're going to be talking about social commerce, building a ticketing platform, and we've got two of the best in the business doing that. We have uh, our Sportsloft member uh, from uh, FIVO, who is Colin Casey, the EVP and GM of product development. Colin, welcome back to the podcast. Yanni, good to have you again. Excellent. And Josh Young, who is the Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for the brand new and announced F1 Miami Grand Prix, which has finally become a reality. And all of us motorsports fans are really looking forward to that race. Josh, welcome to the Sports Talk Podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, great to have you both here. We'll dive into the content in a second, but give us um, what I'd love for you guys to do is just give the listeners a little bit of background on who you are and what you do day to day so that they get a flavor of what your challenges are. Josh, why don't you take it away? Yeah, sure. So my name is Josh Young, and uh, as you mentioned, oversee ticket sales and hospitality for our 2022 Formula One Miami Grand Prix. Um, and what that job entails right now is building out all of our ticketing and, and hospitality experiences, which is uh, quite a project in and of itself. And then once that's complete, it's uh, executing the sales process to make sure that we fill all of that uh, by the time we go racing here next year. So it's, um, it's definitely a new experience from a professional standpoint, but uh, nothing new from uh, just a motorsports fan standpoint. Um, this is uh, right up my alley, having attended countless races over the course of a lifetime. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun to be involved with, but uh, definitely a different perspective for sure. And a, and a massive undertaking with a, a short turnaround time to get this launched. So, so a fun project. Well, it's going to be super exciting. And all of us motorsports fans are really looking forward to seeing the racing around the Hard Rock Stadium. Colin, give us a little bit about yourself and what you do at FIVO. Yeah, so uh, I head up our new business uh, partner acquisition. So um, nice long mouthful of a logo or uh, a a title to to basically say that guy goes goes and gets new logos uh, with his team. So um, yeah, we're we're five years into it. Um, really great, uh, you know, market penetration throughout North American sports. We're excited about a global launch, as you guys at Sportsloft are are well aware. That's coming up at the tail end of this year. And um, yeah, I've had the great fortune, you know, Josh was one of the earlier uh, FIVO adopters back at, at his days in Cleveland with the Browns. And, um, you know, he, he brought us with him to LAFC. And uh, the good news for him is he didn't have to bring us to Miami. Uh, we, we were already installed there, but uh, he, he had the good fortune of continuing to work with us. So um, he, he's one of the best in the biz, uh, very well respected and, and obviously happy to share some airtime with him today. So. Awesome. So we're talking about building a ticketing operation. And of course, a lot of uh, entities in the sports realm are based on ticketing operations, both short term and long term. 
I think there's a lot of interesting things to dive into. We can talk about how you gauge demand and build to that demand because you're not you're not necessarily dealing with a fixed manifest at the Miami Formula One Grand Prix. You know, you can build however many temporary seats, I mean, within reason, obviously, but however many temporary seats you want to. But um, Josh, why don't, why don't you take us back a little bit? And what I find very interesting about your uh, your resume and your background is that you have you have worked in ticketing and in building those services, both in established properties such as uh, the Dolphins and the Browns and NFL teams, but also in building the ticketing platforms and the, and the solutions that are gonna that you're gonna bring to bear with LAFC and now with uh, the Miami F1 GP. Where, what are the differences and how do you approach those roles in different ways uh, in order to try and maximize the, the, the ticketing value? What's your number one sort of, okay, I need to figure this out before I can go do anything else? Yeah, I think that's actually something that you learn once you're on site and have a little bit of an understanding of the landscape. The, the unique thing is every, every adjustment or change that I've had uh, from a career standpoint, they've all been a very unique challenge, particular to that franchise or that organization. Um, so it, it's not necessarily one big item that you come in and you figure out, but you know what your big bucket things are. You know, you have to evaluate your demand situation, you have to evaluate your staffing situation, and then you have to evaluate your entire product mix to figure out, okay, like where, where should my attention be? What is, what's the biggest thing I can tackle on the front end? And so, yeah, it has been a little bit different um, in all the places I've been. Cleveland is a great example of no matter what happens in Cleveland, Ohio, the Browns are going to be high demand. And so it's more of a matter of, of understanding how are you maximizing this, this high demand and where, where are you looking? What, what type of clientele are you selling to? that are willing to buy at that particular time. When I was there, the Cleveland Browns were not a winning football team. And matter of fact, we had a few seasons where we just didn't win at all. Uh, but we still had buyers. It was just a matter of we had to be very tactical in, in where we were finding them. There were still going to be buyers out there, but they weren't as plentiful as what they would probably be right now with the Browns being a, a playoff contender. Um, LAFC, a completely different demand situation, brand new franchise, demand through the roof from a community that really cares and understands soccer. Um, but, uh, but there were little tweaks that we could make to further maximize. That was more of a pricing exercise. It was a product mix exercise. It wasn't necessarily, we've got to find the right clientele to buy it. Um, and then obviously with uh, the Grand Prix, this one's very unique because our big bucket items are very clear. A, we've got to finalize all of these products we've got we've got a creative product mix that is going to put us in a category that would be recognized as hands down the best grand prix grand prix on the formula one circuit and and that's a lofty goal formula one has some incredible events you know monaco is is an iconic event that's been around for 60 plus years you've got singapore which is a relatively newer event but you know one, one of the more premier events to attend in the world uh, and we have to put ourselves in that category, if not just a little bit further ahead. So it's understanding the clientele that, that would look at it as the premier type of event and then creating a product that is going to attract them. Um, and so that's the challenge that we're going through right now, which is definitely something new for me, but, um, but also really exciting and, and a fun task to, to try to tackle. 
And so how do you go about that? How do you go about evaluating demand generation or, or not demand generation, sorry, evaluating the base demand and then looking to grow that demand generation in order to increase it? And Colin, how can we use technology to best harness that in order to really understand uh, the data and use the best information in order to make those decisions? Yeah, I think um, today, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk always says this best. He's like, there's there's literally never been a better time to be alive than right now, as far as like what you have access to and, and the resourcing that you can tap into and the insights that you can get from those. So, you know, I think um, the teams that we work with, and as you guys know, we, we work with a boatload, um, they, they use us in various capacities, um, but as a vendor of theirs, you get insights into what other vendors that they're working with, right? So there might be stuff that doesn't even touch ticketing, but um, you get deeper data insights into fan interests, fan engagement, um, you know, all these social platforms now that all of these teams have their brands on. Um, there's just a lot of that going on behind the scenes. And I, I'll, I'll never forget when I was at Madison Square Garden, which wasn't that long ago, um, in, in live entertainment years, it feels like forever, but, um, we had just started getting into that stuff. Um, like, uh, dynamic seat pricing, for example, um, that has been like all the rage on the ticketing side in recent years. And I think prior to call it 2010 and, and, you know, Josh has been doing this a while. I mean, he can tell you, you didn't really have access to a lot of that stuff. So a lot of it was like, well, Who's our opponent? These guys are really good. These guys won the Stanley Cup last year. These guys won the Lombardi Trophy. Like we're going to price that game higher than the rest kind of thing. Now it's all about like, what's the day of the week? What's the temperature going to be like? Like, are people going to be more inclined to sit their butts on the couch and flip on Netflix? I think teams are starting to understand more and more. Um, the competition isn't who else is in season across town. The competition is... Can they stream? Can they sit at home? Can they just go take their dollar and spend it elsewhere? And me as a consumer, as a fan, uh, any of those places that my dollar can touch, that entity is in direct competition with these teams. So leveraging all of these technologies now that are at their disposal to better understand me, to better market to me, you're starting to see a lot of that stuff come to the forefront. Um, and, and our friends at Miami, uh, you know, Josh and crew, they're some of the, they're some of the best at literally leveraging all that to understand, you know, um, who can we get into these buildings, into these events? And, and they're doing a lot of different ones now, as you guys pointed out. And I think that's really important for them because keep in mind, you know, South Florida traditionally has been a very transient community here in America, right? They're not a, you know, uh, you're born here, you're raised here, you, you live here and you die here, right? So there's a lot of people from the Northeast that go down there. Um, so I feel like, and, and, you know, Josh, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like a, a franchise and organization like that, um, they have to be really reliant on, on those tools. And I think these guys do a superb job of, of doing just that. So that raises a, an interesting question in my mind, um, uh, Josh, coming, coming back to, to you. How are you approaching uh, kind of the longevity of a fan, 
right? Because, uh, you know, if you think about the Browns or, or LAFC or, uh, you know, uh, the Dolphins, you know that you're going to be, you know, COVID, COVID accepted. You know that you're going to be coming back year after year. You can tweak the products here and there with a lounge or, you know, an extra service. But here you're building something entirely from scratch. And yes, you can do some demand prediction and generation to build the products. Are you sort of committing to go and sell three years out and get and, and try to get people locked in for three years? Or are you allowing yourself the flexibility to maneuver and work those products over time in order to respond to the to, to the market? Because it, it, it will be different for everybody, right? And no one's ever done a Formula One race in South Florida. Uh, there was a Formula E race. There were two Formula E races in South Florida, but that's a very different proposition, much smaller, uh, smaller manifests. So I'm really interested to see kind of how you're approaching that challenge. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a probably a healthy combination of both. And, and, you know, frankly, we're still in the in the process of evaluating that as we go. But um, it's something we're thinking about. And and I think we're going to want to allow ourselves the flexibility to make changes while at the same time make sure that we've put ourselves in a strong demand situation for the foreseeable future. This isn't a short-term agreement with Formula One. So it's something that we're going to want to make sure that we've got um, put ourselves in the best possible demand situation long-term. And there's really two ways that you go about it. I think back to LAFC may be the single greatest example that I'm familiar with in pro sports of creating a sense of ownership and buy-in from a fan base. And, and, and it's different than what we're gonna have to do with Formula One, and I hopefully I can, I can uh, illustrate that, but, but what they were able to do at LAFC is from the very beginning, from the inception of them becoming a franchise and announcing that they were going to build a stadium in LA, they started including you know, a very small group of what they called supporters at that time. And it was just a group that was soccer fans. They didn't have a, a team local in LA that they called their own. And so LAFC included them in the entire design phase. And then that, that group grew. That, that's what is now referred to as the 3252, the supporter group. Um, and it started, I think, with 12 people at their first meeting. By the time they really got into the heat of like really finalizing what that brand and what that in-game experience and membership was going to be. They had 300, 400 people clamoring to come to some of these meetings. And and now everybody who's there, I don't care where you're at in that building, everybody feels a sense of ownership and a sense of pride over what they've created. Those are long-term fans. As long as LAFC is a, is a brand in Los Angeles, those people will be there and their kids will be there, their kids' kids will be there. That is an absolute case study. In, in how to create a, a fan base organically. So, so they did a phenomenal job in, in putting that together. This is gonna be slightly different from the standpoint that Formula One's an international fan base. Um, I mean, you know, we're anticipating roughly two thirds of attendees to our event, not even being local to South Florida. Wow, that many, that's incredible. Well, I mean, there's a lot that plays into it, where we're located, this, the, the culture of Miami as a whole is to Colin's point at the beginning, very transient and, and international um, as it is. So what we're gonna have to do in order to attract a group that has on a F1 calendar, 20 other options around the world that are incredible options. Um, I don't know if we can put ourselves in the category to expect that every single person coming is gonna come for the next 10 years. But what we can do is put ourselves in a situation where we can create an experience on site that is unrivaled on the F1 calendar and the majority of that group wanting to come back, but those that don't are talking about it to their friends who definitely will be coming to an event like that and have the means to do so. 
um, we can create that type of atmosphere around the event to, to drive long-term loyalty, even if it's not to the same person coming year after year after year. And I think that's a, a little bit of the difference, you know, being a one-off event for one weekend versus hosting 17 different home games over the course of, you know, a, a seven-month span. It's a little bit different, but um, I think there are elements that can carry over to both. Mm. So what are the sort of purchasing habits that are different between sports? What are you guys seeing, Colin, at FIBO? Because there's, there's obviously a lot of, you know, um, uh, a, a lot of different things that go into, oh, I want to go back to an NHL game or I want to go to an NBA game or an NFL game or, uh, you know, I want to go to a concert or I want to go to uh, something else. What are the behaviors and the instigating factors that will make people come again? And, uh, and what should organizations be thinking about in terms of making repeat fans? Yeah, it's an excellent question. The, um, <clears throat> I think the statistic is your average live event goer attends a live event once every 16 to 18 months. Um, so, you know, even though people are rabid fans of that sport or just like the live environment, the fact of the matter is like, they're not there all that often. Right. So, you know, Yanni, to your point, like that memorable, like, I need that dopamine hit again, um, you know, for, for that attendee. Um, we at FIVO call it the Instagrammable moment. Like, what are you, the rights holder, doing to make sure that, like, I have the greatest experience of, of all time? Um, there's a few things that go into that. Um, and it's not necessarily, and I think some of this might... Um, might be COVID related, but some, some trends that we're seeing kind of coming out of this period is, you know, people kind of used to slice and dice, you know, their, their uh, book of demographic, if you will, right? Like older folks behave a certain way. They'll never change. Let's just keep giving them paper tickets, for example. Right. And the, the industry is like swiftly moving away from paper. It's going fully digital because going back to your earlier question, Yanni, like you get more insight into who is actually putting their butt in that seat that night, if you can track the barcode and the QR code all the way to scan, right? So, um, you know, Aaron Paris on our team, he, he says it best. His mom's been using Instacart uh, to grocery shop during COVID. And he's like, man, she's never going back. She loves it. And, you know, we use those examples a lot to show like, people are smarter than I think we generally give them credit for. Like the, the human species is uh, it's the most advanced, right? And, and it has the ability to adapt uh, when necessary. And I think when you look at, um, you know, just those trajectory of things, we almost sort of see like this, this melting pot of it, it doesn't matter how old the fan, where they're from, like what they, they interact with all of these other brands uh, now and like they look at the team or the venue or the rights holder as, you know, uh, someone else that they purchase from. Now, the product is wildly different, as you guys know, because, um, you know, live events is incredibly unique. Um, it, it's it's not it's not hardware. It's not tables and chairs. Right. It's it's an experience. You are selling an experience. So what goes into that? What what gets me out of my seat? Um, and I think historically, you know, uh, the, the thought of the main attraction being like, well, let's give them a, a discount on pricing. Um, 
I think you're starting to see teams get away from that. Not entirely, you know, discounts and flash sales and, and, and group uh, specific pricing is probably always going to be interwoven into that fabric. But, um, you know, we always use the analogy here. Like when you go to a game at Madison Square Garden and the T-shirt gun comes out during a Knicks timeout, and the crowd goes wild because you're going to launch a, you know, double extra large t-shirt with a sponsor's logo across the back. And it just says Nick's on the front, like, and people are diving, you know, three rows down to try and catch that thing. Why? Because it's something extra. They went and they said, I paid X, but these guys gave me Y and Z in addition. And it was like incredible. So um, the thing that we're always trying to uh, strategize on with our partners is, are there other assets that you have that I, as a fan, cannot go to your website and, and put down my credit card and check out with? Now, again, you can't do all of that for everybody, but you can reward certain people um, or, or, or certain groups or certain subsets of your audience. Um, so that's definitely one. And the other thing, too, is uh, in-game experience. And, and these guys are the talk of the town. And obviously, they're, they're still in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Um, man, oh man, for anyone listening, if you get a chance to go to Vegas and, uh, probably blow all of your money, just stop there. If you get a chance to go to Vegas, just go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, if you've never been go, I, I don't care what time of year. Uh, but two, if you can go during hockey season and catch a golden Knights game, if you're in this industry and you're like, how could we do the fan experience better? man, these guys are writing the playbook. They're rewriting the playbook um, as far as uh, I personally am concerned. I think they do an exceptional job and, and it's well-documented. So um, it's a show, right? Like, And it doesn't mean like when the clock starts and when the clock ends, that's it. Um, Ari's got this vision of uh, stadiums staying open an extra 60 to 90 minutes for people to just hang out and socialize and keep the concessions open because what happens when the game ends? We rush everybody out the doors. Thanks for coming. Have a great night. And what do they do? No one goes home, right? They, they all want to celebrate with their friends. Like, oh my God, that game winning goal. Can you believe it? And, and they're at the pub, right? For an extra two hours. It's like, that's potential revenue that's lost right on the, on the venue side. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think you're starting to see that become more and more apparent. You know, a lot of the partners that we work with do a great job at looking and saying pre and post and even during, what else can we give these people so that, you know, to Josh's point, they're fans for life and they're bringing their kids and their kids are bringing their kids. Right. So Josh, uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to talk you out of a job here or, or kind of throw you a curveball, but I'm, I'm genuinely interested. If you had a choice, let's assume performance on the ice or on the field or whatever else is, is equal, right? Cause, cause we all know that that is super important. If you had a choice, would you have a, killer ticketing team or a killer fan experience team sort of sort of game day experience team well, i'm hyper biased on this uh but i would tell you i would take the killer ticketing team all day um not that the the guest experience is absolutely critical um and frankly it's it's what's going to make somebody it's going to push them into a decision whether or not they're going to come again but um, but I've taken so much pride and, and frankly, some of the most fun years or seasons that I've had from a career standpoint have been those where the team performed really poorly, but the business results still drove it home. Um, that to me has been so much more satisfying 
than years where I've found myself in a super high demand situation. And then we're just making little tweaks along the way. You don't feel as responsible for the outcome uh, in those particular situations. And not that they weren't a blast as well. Don't get me wrong. There was a little bit of relief in some of that as well. But, uh, you know, I think of some of those years that we had in Cleveland where the team just wasn't performing well. Um, and we still drove really incredible results from, you know, a ticket sales perspective. And you felt a, a very high sense of accomplishment as a result of that, that, that you made a direct impact because it clearly wasn't the fact that people thought they were going to come see a win on Sunday that was, uh, that was driving them to the events or that was helping increase attendance over those uh, periods of time. So, so that's definitely more satisfying for me, which is probably why I'm a little bit biased. But you do touch on something that's really critical, and Colin was getting at this as well um, when he was speaking a moment ago, but the customer journey is absolutely critical at this point, and not just the journey in venue, because that's, that's probably paramount, but it's all of the little things before and after that are going to help somebody make the decision. You know, Colin's analogy about Instacart, it... it really rings true because when you think especially where we're coming out of where in the last year you didn't have to leave your house for anything you legitimately didn't have to leave your house to do anything everything is available to you at the click of a button anymore so gone are the days where you're going to drive downtown park in a parking garage 12 blocks away walk all the way to whatever the venue is, stand in a long line to wait for your food, then to sit in an uncomfortable seat for three hours to watch a game, then have to hike all the way back, fight the crowds. I, I think that the general population is done with that because you don't fight a crowd when you're sitting at home. You don't, you, you don't even fight a crowd to go to the supermarket anymore. Um, and, and I think that's critical. And that's really where the, the FIVO platform is for me, I've always looked at it first and foremost is a great first touch point. You know, like when we think about ticketing and the process of buying a ticket, I, I actually had to purchase tickets for an event, um, just the other night. And I started that process on a Wednesday, ran into a complication on my phone it, for whatever reason, it wouldn't add to the cart. It was, I had to keep going back to keep shopping, to add additional tickets, blah, blah, blah. I stopped. I, and, and frankly, if it wasn't the fact that I was desperate to go to this event, I wouldn't have moved any further. I just wouldn't have bought the tickets and I wouldn't have gone. Happened to be, I've got other people that I've already committed to it. So I, I did have to go, it, but it took me three days later. And, you know, if I'm working at that particular venue or I'm working with that particular brand, that's information that's paramount for me. And I've got to make adjustments fast because they captured me, but I'm a hyper engaged audience. If I wasn't as engaged, I was gone. You lost a potential buyer. And that's how I think through the customer journey is I can't lose you because I've made the purchase process inconvenient. I can't lose you because I've made the attendance process inconvenient. I can't lose you because I've made the actual in-venue experience inconvenient or your, frankly, your egress, your ability to get out, get in your car and hit the road. Uh, all of those have to be really seamless. And, and more and more franchises like ours are paying way closer. Not that they haven't been paying attention to it in the past, but it's, it's become a, a more significant focus even just over the last year as a result of everybody's transition to simple click of a button, drop it off at my door, no effort on my end um, mentality. And so within that world, where do ticket sales teams come in? And this is an interesting conversation in the context of sort of the North American sports business model where, uh, you know, you, you see a lot of top executives who actually 
uh, broke their teeth coming in as, you know, junior ticket sales executive, working phones to local companies and people just kind of, you know, trying to trying to trying to sell tickets. Um, and the European sports to business model where ticket sales teams aren't necessarily as big. There are people in the organization, you know, who focus on that, but it's mostly around renewals, season ticket packages, you know, there's there's not that attention to detail with a few notable exceptions. Of course, you know, we're not we're not going to paint everybody with the same brush, but uh, there isn't that sophistication and that kind of development. Colin, you work with a lot of rights holders and you're kind of breaking into into the European scene as well. How do you see that difference between North America and Europe in the attention to, to, to detail um, and in the construction of, of, of the ticket sales team and the operation? Yeah, um, I'd say our, our friends at City Football, um, they've, they've actually, yeah, they've actually modeled the North American model on their end and, and that's partly because they have a lot of they have a lot of stakeholders on, on that side who came from the states and worked on the team side over over here um, but yeah it is interesting you know a lot of the conversations that we've had um, and, and Josh can attest to this because I almost feel like um, you know the the NFL is very unique here uh, in North America in that there's fewer games thus, less supply, um, and just rabid fan bases. Like Josh mentioned, like even, you know, performance on the field isn't that great, but like if you grow up and, and you guys know I'm from Philadelphia. Oh man, I'm sorry. I forgot. I, for, I, for, I forgot the Sixers. Yes. Rough, rough week for me, but we'll, we'll get them. We'll get them next time. <laughs> My grandfather has had Eagles season tickets. We've had Eagles season tickets in the family for, uh, over 43 years. When you're born in those markets, it's like a birthright. Like it is, you you wear it on your sleeve. You're there through thick and thin, yeah. and that's not going away. You know, to Josh's point, like you're going to get your hardcore fans are going to show up. But I think the trends that we're seeing here in North America, particularly in the last three to four years, which is why I think FIBO, a, a part of our, you know, uh, rapid growth and expansion. Um, has been timing, truth be told, because I think as those barriers start to break down and things just become more accessible, like we talked about before, the casual fan, how do you get them? How do you attract them? Like to Josh's point before about, you know, him buying tickets. If you're not a captivated audience and the customer journey is a clunky one, you've lost that person. Well, that person might be the next biggest and best, you know, F1 fan or NLS fan, or if that's their first experience with the brand, like your, your number one and one a priority is to get them through the turnstiles so they can experience what you're offering. And, um, you know, I think what's been interesting in our, our talks with the clubs overseas is you kind of have, you know, Yanni, you mentioned this, the similarities to what we saw many years ago with the NFL, which is long season ticket holder wait lists, um, you know, we, we don't do groups, we don't do promotions. We don't even really sell single game tickets because like we're, we're capped, we're full. And I think over the years, um, some of that has changed slightly, uh, because again, to Josh's point, like there's a lot that goes into that game day experience. And even though someone might commit to a full season, um, maybe they only want to go once or twice now. And then when renewals come up a year or two down the line, maybe they're like, eh. 
maybe I just want to spend my money elsewhere. And like, I know I only go to one to two games anyway. So um, I think what you're seeing here in North America, uh, you're, you're probably going to see those trends pick up uh, overseas here. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be next year or three years from now, but the differentiation of product that Josh talked about before, and even with a season ticket, right. And, and Josh can speak to this, uh, you know, there's a lot of clubs here in North America across all sports really that are kind of revisioning what their season member, you know, package or program looks like, like, it's not just a, Hey, you've got a season long discount, right? Because you bought all these games in full. There's a lot of other customer experience stuff that goes into it. Um, so yeah, I- interestingly, I- I'm seeing, I'm seeing, you know, some patterns and some things mirror over there. And I think that is going to benefit uh, us selfishly FIVO uh, from that perspective, because as those trends start to kick in overseas, we've got years of case studies behind us to showcase like, well, here's what this team did as they started to transition into, you know, A, B and C products and and really differentiate themselves to the marketplace. And the really interesting thing about that, at least from my perspective, is how the fans approach, I mean, ticket prices, right, as uh, almost a birthright and the difference in approach between North America and and Europe and you know the the Super League was a, was a great example of this where the fans reacted in a way that you know this is pure greed we're going to be you know driving extra revenue whereas of course if you look at it from a business perspective the Super League objectively makes sense right it's it's a it's a it's an idea of not having to deal with relegation but of course the challenge that a lot of the fans faced and this has been an ongoing battle especially in the premier league for a lot of the owners who have come in is to have to not increase ticket prices too much there is a lot of untapped demand in there there's a lot of um uh, money that's being left on the table but if you put prices up too much there will be a rebellion from that hardcore fan base that is going to uh, is going to kick off and and, and create real issues so the, the interesting thing for me is, how do you approach that? How have you seen um, that approach? Because I- I- in North America, fans are more prepared to part with their money for an NFL ticket or an NBA ticket or an NHL ticket and are more prepared to accept dynamic ticketing, d- dynamic ticket pricing, increases every year. Um, how do you approach that balance between not pissing off the fan base, but also maximizing the revenue and um and as a secondary thing josh like as as you are building something from scratch how much is that something ingrained in your mind in terms of building um uh, a fan base that's going to keep coming back and not sort of pricing them out versus i have a big guarantee that i've paid to fom and i need to make sure that i recover that as as much as possible yeah that's uh it's a great question you know on the front end of it this is it's actually super complicated because there's so many factors at play when it comes to pricing and value of a ticket. And uh, look, as a, a sports fan and somebody who attends a lot of live events, I don't want to overpay to have to attend. And I'll make my decision based on pricing, just like anybody else. You know, do I see enough value to spend this on it? But another thing that gets sometimes overlooked when a when an organization is sets their pricing and or adjusting their pricing along the way based on demand 
is the fact that the fan is doing that to the other fan, regardless of what the team decision is. Uh, because of the way that the ticketing platform has changed, because of how easy it is for me to purchase a ticket, turn around and, and sell it myself if I choose to no longer attend or see an opportunity, quite frankly. So it, whether or not the organization is going to do it, the fan is going to maximize their their either pricing or they're going to hold on to that and actually attend if they see enough value in it. Um, so that's where it becomes a really complicated issue where you're not just battling demand, you're actually battling against um, competition of, of your own product, really, on, through a lot of secondary markets. So that plays a lot in pricing, especially in the States, because we've made it so easy. You know, well, I think back to um, an Arsenal game that I attended uh, a couple of years ago and the process to just ob obtain the tickets to go. I, we had to actually obtain the, the physical hard card. So it had to get delivered by concierge to our hotel. We had to work with the concierge. Then we had to mail the hard cart back. You know, if it wasn't because of this one circumstance where I just happened to be there during an Arsenal game and desperately wanted to see it, if I lived there regularly, I wouldn't go through the rigmarole. I just wouldn't go. Or, or I would commit to the season ticket package. And knowing that that was such a complicated resale process, I would attend the games myself. I wouldn't have the bandwidth to be able to do that. So, so that is just kind of the juxtaposition between in America where everything's now digital, everybody, you can post on 20 different sites. You can get 500 eyeballs on your tickets in a matter of a few minutes. Um, it's just, it's different. And that's what affects the pricing conversation. So when we talk about how we're thinking and looking at, uh, what we're going to value our products at when we finally get to the point that we're on sale. You know, I, I think number one, we have to, we have to think about the product that we're actually going to market with. Um, and are we going to deliver the best, baddest, most luxurious premium product that we can in each of our spaces? And then will that pricing carry? Um, and, and is it something that that group that we're targeting, is it something they're going to see enough value in to invest? Um, so those are the considerations that we have. I can tell you that our intention with, with everything that we do with the Miami open, with the dolphins, now with F1, with concerts, you know, we're always looking at pricing in real time. Uh, it, it, you, at this point, you're, especially in the States, you're foolish if you're not doing that. And, and that's both up and down. You want to maximize velocity as well as, as well as, uh, revenue. So, uh, it's something that we'll be evaluating in real time, regardless of where we set the mark to start. Mm. Well, there was an old aphorism that I heard when I first got into the business, which is an interesting one, which is that the the correct pricing is the one that ensures that your last ticket is sold two seconds before tip off, because that means that you've maximized the value out of the market uh, because you, people are just waiting to get that instead of the one that sells out in, in sort of, you know, 30 seconds, right? You, well, you know, that's interesting that you say that. I have a, a really close friend of mine who his quote was, if you sold every ticket, you screwed up your pricing, um, which is which is really an interesting way to look at it and something I hadn't considered until he shared it with me. But um, yeah, there's a number of different ways to look at it. But again, you also do run into the standpoint. Uh, I've never at, at any point with any franchise, and this is including minor leagues, had a situation where we raised prices and somebody called to thank us. You know, like that's never going to happen. It doesn't it doesn't matter what the product is. Nobody ever gets excited that the price went up. You don't get excited when price goes up at the gas station. You don't get excited when the supermarket raises the price of milk. Uh, and that's just going to be the case with ticketing. And so it's always finding that that balance between what the market will bear, um, but also what, again, accomplishes the goals that you have. These these 
our businesses any way that you look at it and you want to make sure that you're taking care of the business as well mm-hmm. so we're, we're all about technology so i'll close i'll close with this as we close in on the uh 40 minute mark colin what what technologies are you guys using to really look at the future of ticketing and create the best experience for your partners and the best returns for your partners what are you looking at as a long-term vision yeah i think um you know, we, as you guys know, we, we started in the ticketing space more granularly. We started on like the group sales side of things because, uh, you know, gone are the days of herding cats in our opinion, um, because the teams and the rights holders, they, they demand the, uh, the data, they need to know who's actually consuming their product. So Fivo helped break the mold of, you know, Yanni buys a block of 100 tickets. Well, who are the other 99 people that Yanni brought? That's that's really important to, to know so we can market to them because they probably had a good time. Um, so we've migrated into other categories of, of ticketing products, as you guys know. I think uh, the long-term horizon for us is we really look at this space as um, – pretty fragmented. And what I mean by that is, um, and you guys at Sportsloft know uh, with with the clubs over in the UK and in Europe that you guys uh, work closely with, you know, my tickets live here in this system. My parking lives here in this system. My merchandise lives in a completely different system. And the customer journey, going back to Josh's point before, if we're, if we're putting that as a paramount and we're, we're uh, holding that in high regard, that's pretty fragmented when I have to hop around and I have different experiences. Right. Um, so for us, how do we consolidate and how do we unify? So we've really sort of grown up, uh, from a quote unquote ticketing company to, we really view ourselves as as this master integrator. So we're not coming in to say, Hey, rip out all your systems and here's Fivo. It's keep your systems, but we're going to sit on top of everything that you guys do and unify your fans touch point with your brand, which is that initial transaction. And then obviously, as you guys know, we want to sprinkle in and make that social uh, to get the word out, uh, you know, through through word of mouth, peer to peer, and to ultimately be accretive to those sales and revenue efforts. But for us, that's kind of the big, the big project and and we're getting there. We've got some really great releases here coming up over the next couple of weeks that I think our, our partners are going to do cartwheels over, but it, it, that's really it for us. How do we tie together all those products, um, you know, and make sure that our partners aren't skipping a beat from an operational perspective on the back end because unifying the journey for the fan, that's great. If it causes more work and more headache on the backside for our partners, um, we don't really see that as much of a value add. So we're trying to keep both things kind of uh, in in parallel and, and making sure that both sides of the equation are happy. Great. And you guys are going to smash it, I'm sure. Josh, how are you guys using technology to face the challenges that we've just talked about today? Yeah, well, you know, Colin's group at FIBO is, is one good example. Um, they're the first technology that we applied to uh, Formula One when we went live with our announcement of the event. Um, and we've been collecting deposits through their platform for hospitality since the day we went live um, and wildly successful compared to our expectations. We really don't know what to expect. Uh, we, uh, having not hosted the event before, we, we don't know what is strong demand and what what might be a little bit weaker, but we're very pleased with the result that we've seen up to this point. But, you know, anything that helps 
that you, you asked about salespeople and what's the future of like the sales, the ticket sales function into the future. And the one thing that is so interesting to me is for an event like this, nobody's ever been there. Nobody's been able to see it, feel it, touch it. Um, and so we have to be able to convey what this experience is going to be if you've never seen it. And frankly, if it doesn't exist outside of my window right now, um, and that's uh, any technology that is going to help us give somebody a true visual and uh, a, a very firm understanding of exactly what's on offer, exactly what the experience will be, and exactly what the options are that are included, all the amenities that are included, and even down to the view. Like if I'm sitting there, what am I going to be seeing? And you as a motorsports fan you know, know the, the differences in, in how selective a true motorsports fan will be on where they're sitting based on what they can see. Um, all of those things are, are technologies that we're working through right now to make sure that when we finally go live with our on sale, even for somebody who, even for an event that's never taken place, you're going to know exactly what you're going to get. Um, and I think that helps us drive additional value, quite frankly, uh, through that on sale process. Can you share what you think the final full capacity of the race is going to be? I can't share that only from the standpoint that we we haven't determined that yet. I, I can tell you that our focus in year one is, A, it has to hands down, every single person walking out of the facility that day has to feel like this is hands down the best event they've ever attended. And I'm not just talking in the realm of motorsports. I'm saying live events, they have to walk out saying, I can't believe that I just got to be a part of this. And in order to do that, we're going to be really... Um, really tactical with the overall capacity because, you know, it, it can't be Woodstock and you can't be parked, you know, seven miles down the road and having to, to take a hike to get in here. So, so that's still, it changes a little bit every single day and we'll continue to work through it to get to a point that helps us deliver on that overall goal. Awesome. Well, certainly the performance of the other teams, not named Mercedes this season, seem that uh, the racing should be quite exciting and it'll be uh, quite close, which is what everybody wants. Well, on that note, um, thank you both very much for joining us. Uh, if you guys enjoyed what you heard, please remember to go to sportsloft.co and subscribe to the newsletter. Follow us on at Sportsloft HQ. And a big thank you to our partners, Northridge Law and uh, SRI, our talent partner. All that remains for me to say is thank you very much for joining us. Josh, really great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And Colin, as always, thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to the next one, brother. Always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much and see you soon. Thank you.